Hey, if you, uh, maybe it's your first time or you've, you've been out, and let me just tell you what we're talking about. This is as quick of a synopsis as I can give. Some of you are questioning whether it will be or not. Listen, life plays out where, especially if you're looking for God, wanting God involved in your life, it can sometimes feel like he's distant. And you might think, God has left me. What I would suggest is it's that you and I drift from him. So this whole series has been about how do I keep, like what's the act, like the practical, the tactical thing, the spiritual discipline that I can drop anchor to keep myself from drifting from God no matter what is above water, no matter what storm I'm going through, no matter like how uncertain, crazy, difficult, easy it is that I am not going to drift from God every week has been a different anchor that we've talked about. If you want to review, go on the internet, and you can nerd all out that you want to and all the different anchors. So I'm going to talk to you about a new one today. I feel like I should preface this one with, I love you very much. (laughs) I wonder, I've got no data on this, totally, got some. If this might be one of the more profound anchors yet one of the least used anchors. That's bait to get you to listen. So let me tell you about my first car. If you don't know about this, I've shared sometimes about this. Uh, I went looking for a car, needed a car. I had gone to college and I tried the whole thing out of like, you know, riding a bike and walking to places. And I was like, mm, not gonna work. So I started looking for a car. Now I was trained, right? I had a, there's a budget. In fact, I remember, I'll never forget some of the advice I got about buying a car is never buy a car based on the color. If you're going to find a black car or a white car, whatever you're wanting, like that's dangerous territory to spend too much. You're going to find out, you're going to fall in love with a color instead of a car. So I went out with, I'm going to be budget oriented. I'm going to buy what I need, not what I want. And at the same time, a show was on TV that I grew up watching called Knight Rider. And I'm not joking, it just so happened that I, I went to one of the neighboring towns, we're kind of looking for vehicles, and there front of the lot was a Pontiac Firebird Black calling my name. I think it said David. Uh, it might have been the devil, but anyways, it was like, so I was like, went in there, didn't negotiate the price. I'm like, I just want that. What do I need to do to get that? I was a rookie. I was a rookie. I was like, yeah, whatever you say. I just want to give me the keys. And so I, I left, and that was my, my first vehicle uh, with the help of a, a bank. And so I, uh, it was their vehicle. Anyway, so I, I, I drive it away, and, and, and where, I, where I grew up, uh, people thought, okay, fine, you've got a vehicle, but that wasn't like the coolest part of your vehicle. It was... Um, uh, what kind of sound system do you have inside of that thing? And many of my friends had vehicles that hardly ran, but the sound system was, well, was worth more than the car itself. Uh, but we thought that was cool. We thought that was cool. So one of the first projects I had was I need to get a sound system for this Firebird, and, and I got an amazing one. Subwoofers in the back. I'd love to go into detail, but I probably should preach a sermon, but oh my, it was awesome. Drove that car for a while, felt like, you know, wowed enough people, right? By, I was like, this is, this is maybe the coolest person ever. But eventually, uh, the car begins to break down, which for me, I'm like, well, I got I to gotta sell this thing. And so I had a buddy whose dad owned a shop 
right on the main strip of town. And he's like, you, uh, he's cool with you just parking your car right there. Everyone will drive by it. They'll see the for sale sign. You'll, sale, you'll sell this in no time. It'll be awesome. So like, sweet, did it. Parked the car there, all cleaned up, all nice and neat and for sale right in front. And I was like, ah, this must sell this thing quick. So I would watch it because I was in love with it, just full confession. But I, I would watch it and and I would go check on it occasionally, wipe it down, clean it up, shine it up. It needed to, you know, catch someone's eye as they were driving by. Well, one instance, I went to check on it, and I was like looking around the car, and I, I go to the back of the Firebird, and I noticed something different. I knew every inch of this thing. I cleaned it way too often, so like, I knew anything that was out of place, and I noticed on the back of this car, this Firebird, the lock that would open up the hatch, that lock was no longer there. And I was like, what does that mean? So I got into the vehicle and I noticed that my stereo, there was now a hole there, just a, not there. And I was like, well, I wonder if they took, I was new to this, I wonder if they took the other stuff. We all know they took the other stuff, right? Like, but I went, I opened up the hatch and, and my subwoofers are gone, the amp's gone. And I don't know if you've ever had anything stolen from you. I don't know how to articulate inadequate words the word vulnerable does not describe how you feel, but it's as good as I can get to there. When all of a sudden what you thought was locked down good, you were entirely relying on the locks, the alarm, all that kind of stuff. Then you show up and you realize that someone, maybe they've been in your house, they've been in your car. They've been, and I'm talking about the kindergarten example of where someone took one of your favorite toys. It's just this moment where you, you, you feel like you're the most unsafe that you've ever been in all of life. If you've ever had anything taken from you, you know what I'm talking about. So something happens to you. It's, a, it's like a switch. You go from carefree, life is great, nothing can touch me, to where now everywhere you go, you're sizing people up. What do you want? What are you looking at? What are you doing? And when, when you get your next car or whatever, you put the alarm in, you, like, you, you click the button, you hear it beep, but you're like, mm, but we need to do this 17 more times to make sure I know it's locked, right? You get maybe cameras on the car or you're in your house. You, you and I have a tendency that when, when we feel like what we've been doing is no longer reliable, you and I have a tendency to say that I've got to do more. I need to shore this up. I need to actually back this up and do all this kind of stuff. I bring the story up because I think we're doing this with God. I think the danger that you and I would say, you know what, when life has a storm and it's going crazy, we say, I want to trust God but we don't. Here's what I've observed in my own life too. Many Christians say they rely on God, but spend their lives trying not to. Someone's like, no, no, I'm telling you, I think this is what we're doing. We, we, we get the idea. I mean, come on, we're, we're like church, right? Sermon. You're like, there's some idea in your heart that says, I want to know God, worship God, be around God. I'm trying to figure out, is God real? And so there's this concept of, uh, I want to rely on this almighty God, but then you and I go to work, working on ways that we take care of what we need to take care of. And only in our desperate moments do we then go to God and say, God, I really need you to show up. And he's like, 
I wish you'd do that in the mundane small things. And I wonder if you and I are there. Could the anchor that you need to drop be related to how you're relying on him? Not on what you're wanting from him, but how you're relying on him. I'll take you into a story in the Bible. It's in the uh, Old Testament, 2 Samuel. If you're unfamiliar with this, this is a part of the Bible that is, is really detailing uh, the kings that uh, the Israelites and people were going through over and over. And they would have a, I know this will shock you because it's never happened in our government. Uh, you have these great moments and then you'll have these horrible moments and then you'll have these great moments. And, or you'll have good leader, bad leader, good leader, bad leader. And so the, the Bible is actually detailing and beginning to detail this. And, and this particular uh, leader is King David. So uh, once again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. They, they're, they're not up here, they're, they're down here now, okay? And he's, he's, he's like, this, I don't like this. Once again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he caused David to harm them by taking a census. Now, I don't know what kind of church you're used to, okay? But when I read that God just caused another person to harm some other people, that could kind of jack with our theology and be like, what did that just, I don't understand that. Well, part of the problem with what I just read to you is it, it, there's a breakdown in translation. So what, what you're reading isn't just a language problem, there's also a cultural problem going on there. And so I, the, I, I can sum this up, we really should have hours and hours on this because this is actually a profound part of scripture. But the best way I can sum it up is God is, God is not like moving him like, like a robot in essence. God is allowing King David to be tempted. He's allowing it. Again, some of you, that doesn't solve your problem. That just increased your problem. You're like, why is he allowing it? If God didn't allow temptation, you would be a robot. See, you and I go to the negative. You might be there right now. Why does God let bad things? No. God allowed the temptation because there's always a chance that temptation can be defeated. We go negative, not positive. So in this moment, God's allowing David to be tempted with a census. Now I'll get to like census. I know most of us are like, well, I don't really like a census, but what's the big deal? Like count the people, come on. Well, I'll get to it. Go and count the people of Israel and Judah. The Lord told him, so the king said to Joab and the commanders of the army, take a census of all the tribes of Israel from Dan in the north to Bathsheba in the south, so I may know how many people there are. Some of you are like, yes, that's what census is. <laughs> to see. Let me tell you some history. Uh, they have just defeated one of their all-time major foes. They just won. And now the king, after winning, after victory, uh, after like defeating the enemy, the bad guys, has decided, I, I have taken the bait. I, I want, he doesn't know he's taking the bait. I want to do a census. Why would a king do a census? Now, some of you, right, were positive thinkers, like, what well, to count the people, count the people. For those of you who know government, uh, to tax the people. That, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm, the, the purpose, the agenda was, I mean, think about how they kept records. They didn't, they didn't have like digital stuff. So the way to do it is you had to count the people. And so the next time that you counted the people, there's probably more people. If there's more people and you find this out, you can get yourself some more money. And actually, you can get yourself some more warriors. 
So if you want to know what's going on, what's the temptation, what's the sin, why is it bad that David was doing a census? It's because he comes back from war and his first thought, what he wants to do now, what the bait that he's taken is, I need to prepare for the future, so I need more money than we've ever had, more warriors than I've ever had. I've got to get as much money and warriors as possible. And it's there that you find the problem. I'm going to leave a couple words just so you know that verse is kind of still there. How many? And what David was doing was biting the temptation that he needed to limit his reliance on God, that he needed to make sure that he was as self-reliant as possible. Welcome to being you and me where you and I have something in us that ticks, where if we feel, if we feel like we have all of our bases covered, we've got all of the security, insurance, details, cameras, and all of that, all the strength, we, if we've got it all, then we don't have to rely on anything outside of the wall that we've built. And so David's like, I want to do that. He's breaking a rule. He'll take you... If you haven't read all of the Old Testament, go to Deuteronomy. Look at some of the rules for the kings. Uh, the king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses for the Lord has told you you must never return to Egypt. The king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord. You've probably seen enough movies. You know that one of the tactics to create a treaty was to get one of the daughters of one of the the other nations and, they, and create a marriage so that there was a bit of a treaty there. The problem was is they would bring their own fake gods and religious weird stuff and it would get all put into the house. And so God's like, don't do that. But notice this one. And he must not, this is the king, accumulate large amounts of wealth in silver and gold for himself. Hopefully there's a little bit of light now on when David did a census and he was, his agenda was to get as much money as possible. He was breaking a rule from God. Do you know why God had that rule in place? Because God knew that when you and I get a lot of money and a lot of security, we don't need him. There's a prayer I think Jesus brought up that we would rely on him to provide even our daily food. There seems to be a connection between these so I'll take you more into the story. and You'll see David knows what he's doing is wrong. Uh, verse 10, but after he'd taken the census, David's conscience began to bother him. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly by taking this census. Uh, just so you now hopefully you understand, it's not just the census. The census isn't the sin. It's the lack of relying on God. David's trying to position the, the nation so they can utilize God if they desperately need him. Please forgive my guilt, Lord, for doing this foolish thing. Now, I know you would love to hear me say, and God forgave him, and there were no problems thereafter. Uh, no, there is a major consequence, and I don't want to skirt over it. Um, God gives, actually, a choice on which punishment is going to play out. The punishment that was chosen led to uh, over 70,000 people died because of this sin of the leader. And uh, it was a horrible time. And I can't imagine what it would have been like to be King David at the time, where he knew he led his people into that. 
And so you know, I've already read to you that his conscience is bothered. He's seen people die and he wants it to stop, right? He wants this to stop. He wants the plague to stop. He, he wants the punishment to stop. And so he's crying out to God, like, make it stop, make it stop, make it stop. When are you going to be done punishing us? And then we get to that moment where God intervenes and, and sends a prophet. Um, here, let me show you. Uh, that day, Gad, you're like, who's Gad? Some of you are like, I've never heard of Gad. But uh, that day, Gad came to David, he's a prophet, and said to him, go up and build an altar. If you don't know what an altar is, it's where an animal is going to get sacrificed. Death has to happen to cover the sin. Go up and build an altar to the Lord. Here's where, on the threshing floor of Aranah the Jebusite. So I'm even telling you where to go. And I love David's response. It's like, you got it. You got it. Because he wants the death to stop, the plague to go away, and he knows what he's done is wrong, and he wants to fix the situation. So he gets instruction from the prophet, like, okay, assignment, got it, let's roll. And he does. He goes, gathers his crew, I can't imagine what that would have been like, and shows up at this guy's place. I think that would have been intimidating. So that's, let me show you something. Uh, as we keep reading, why have you come, my lord, the king, asked. Logical question, I wonder if he was crying or had to change his pants real quick and was just like, why, why is the king showing up to my place? Highlight that. Because I think you and I ask why a lot, don't we? I do. Why? Why are you doing this, God? Why is this happening? And I think you and I ought to read scripture in such a way where we slow down a bit and say, you know what, I think I'd ask that same question. And I think it's a great question to ask God. Just trying to give you permission. You can ask God why. Watch what David says. I, this is, this is going to be fun. David replied, I have come to buy your threshing floor. He's probably like, whew, so you're not killing me, right? Like this is, that's off the table. Like, uh, No, I've come to buy your threshing floor and to build an altar to the Lord there so that he will stop the plague. He's not even bashful about it. He's like, we gotta get this, let's get this going. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Take it, my Lord, the king, and use it as you wish. And I said to David, here are oxen for the burnt offering. Now he's like, oh, oh, we're gonna set this up. And you can use the threshing boards and ox yokes for wood to build a fire on the altar. I will give it all to you, your majesty, and may the Lord your God accept your sacrifice. How nice of him. Come on. King shows up. King's like, I need to, I need to do a sacrifice right there. And, and the guy like borderline interrupts him. He's like, all right, I'll hook you up. I got everything here. Let's go. Let's roll this. Let's do this. I'm going to give you absolutely everything you need. So many of us right now, that's your prayer. You, you're trying to, God, will you help me if you'll just provide, and whatever it is, if you'll just provide uh, a spouse, if you'll just provide us with a child, if you'll just provide us financially, and you're like, God, provide, provide. And if you do, God, when you do, I'm going to trust you. God, if, will you just, here's what we want, and it's a good thing that we want. It's not a selfish thing that we want. God, would you please, will you? And in our hearts, we're even with pure motivation saying, and as soon as you do, I'm going to give you full credit, God. You're going to get it. I want to be all trusting in you. It's going to be awesome. The problem is that's not how relationships work. Because that's a transaction. Remember, uh, this whole incident launched with David feeling like, I don't 
have enough. I need more. I need more. I need more. I've got a lot, but I need more. You remember that part? Just need you to remind you, got, you fresh that in your brain, right? Okay, okay. He wanted more. Now look at his response now when a guy offers him a little bit to take care of the sacrifice. Verse 24. This could be a life verse if you're hunting for one. The king replied to Aaron, I know. I insist on buying it. Do you see the change in heart? A dude that was trying to do a census to scrounge up a little bit more money has a change of heart. No, I insist on buying it. And he's like, well, why? (laughs) For I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, that have cost me nothing. I love this part of scripture. We're trying to have a relationship with God without sacrifice. Remember I started off telling you I love you? Just want to refresh that. I think one of the most significant breakdowns in our trust with God, where you might think trust in your head and you want trust and you think trust is really cool and you know you're supposed to get there and it's actually a craving of yours. Many of us don't have real trust. We have optimism or maybe a little bit of hope, but it's not transferred in because we're trying to do the whole thing without giving God anything. Yeah. Some of you right now, because we're in South Dakota. Some of you I know are from all over. You're watching from online, but we think South Dakotan ease, wise. I don't know. And we're like, give to God? That either sounds like a ploy from the church as a fundraiser. And that's just talking about God doesn't really need anything. Why would I ever give God anything? He's God. You're asking great questions. Uh, Each of my kids have wrestled with, if you're wrestling with what I just shared, each of my kids have wrestled with it. It's been fun to watch, I mean, from afar, right? Because they're going, how do I trust God? Dad, mom, they talk about God and and how amazing he's been and how he's supplied for them and taken care of them. And as kids, they're like, that sounds neat, but do you know what they're saying at school? Do you know what my friends are this and that? And they're like, how they're kind of navigating, like, how, how do I trust the God that my parents talk about and seem to actually trust? And, and we have these conversations, but there's been one environment that over and over and over and over that the lesson actually sinks in. This isn't where dad just feels like he preaches a good sermon to the kid. It's like where I see in their face that they start to get it. In fact, it's become so predictable that every one of our kids has the same thing. And it took me to the third kid. I started filming the moment. No joke. Weird, fine, but started capturing it. Because it was like so predictable. I've shared it with the church before. It's been four or five years, but it happens in a movie theater for our family. This is where I've got to do this lesson, in the movie theater. If you're ever in the movie theater, when I teach this lesson, one, I'm sorry. Uh, but I'm teaching my kids a lesson. And, and so we go to the movie theater in this particular moment where we were on vacation. And when we go to the movies on vacation, it's like, hey, let's do this right. We're not just getting tickets. What candy do you want? What, what drinks do you want? Because dad's got a lesson he's about to teach you. So we're just going to have this and be awesome. And so they get the candy and they think this is the greatest day of their entire life. We go into the movie theater, and I ask the youngest kid, can I have some of the candy that you've got? 
And it took me to the third kid. But if you've never seen it, you need to see it. Here's Titus. Can I have Discover Gummy? No. It allows you to prevent new purchases on one? your account in seconds mm-hmm. if your card is misplaced. Hey. Mm-hmm. Do you want to share your, you want to share your gummy? No. Hmm? No. No? So, you gonna share? You want me to? No. Here. No, no. No? No. No. Why not? No, no. That's mine. No. Okay, sorry. Stop! That's why I apologized to you at the beginning, because I, I knew what was going to happen. I knew it. If you give me some leeway into your life, regarding Titus and I, let's, let's, let's put it all on the table, okay? Um, I had not forgotten in that moment that I was the actual one who did the, the financial transaction. I bought that stinking candy that was in his hand, like I did. He didn't. I didn't say, here's $5, you go. No, I was like, no, I put it all on the, on the little desk there. Dad got the card out, there you go. And, and I, like, I, I bought it, technically. Legality, I think I owned it, right? <laughs> and then you can go a little bit further. Uh, the movie we were watching, I hate, I mean, I love my kids, but the movies they pick, come on. Like, I want a chance to get out of the theater. Like, and I'm just telling, like, I, I could have gone out and like, hey, this is a good time for me to go buy my own sour gummies. I'm just, see you guys, you guys sit here. I'll be out there for 30 minutes. Uh, uh, but, I, but I'm just telling you, I could have, if, if, if I really wanted them, I could have gone out to, to buy them. It wasn't an, that kind of an issue. And, and if, frankly, whether you like this or not, um, I could have ripped them from his hands, okay? It's, it's, if, you're, if, we're, if, we're, if we're measuring strength, I could have, I mean, and I thought about it. Uh, but if you'll give me some leeway, I, remember we're talking about anchors? You know there's going to be a moment in your life that one day you really want to trust God? You want to trust him? Not fake, no, no, not, not religious, but you actually, I, I want to trust God. This is why I teach each of my kids this. Here's the lesson that I walk out with them later on uh, when they begin to kind of retain this information. God made it possible for you to have all that you have. This is for you. Some of you are like, nah, I got a job, David. They pay me. I would say God's responsible for you having a job. If you'll study scripture, anything good comes from God. Anything good comes from God. Anything good comes from God. So you can give credit to your boss, which that's fine. I think you should make sure you're giving credit to God that whatever you have, God is the provider. God doesn't need what you have. If you're wondering, I mean, is this God's way of kind of like stacking things up in heaven? And like, are they short? Because are they going through inflation there too? Like, what's going on? Is it supply demand? What's going on? No, he he doesn't need a single penny from you ever, ever. He's not lacking. And the hard lesson, come on, come on. I mean, this is the hard one. That at any time, because he provided it, 
He can rip it from your hands and he's not wrong for doing so. It's his, it's all his. But there's a fourth lesson I didn't tell you that I teach my kids and it takes a long time to sink in. God knows the relationship is fragile without sacrifice. Why in the world, and you can go all the way, for those of you like, David, this is not law. We are not bound by the law. So you can go before the law, and there were, and there were actually major things at place where their gifts were being given. Then during the law, yeah, God's like, okay, you're not doing it right. I'm going to make you do it. And then post-law, there's all this example of giving to God, giving to God, giving to God. Why? Because any relationship you ever have where you aren't giving to that person or that group, I'm telling you, it's a fragile relationship. You don't need a marriage sermon right now, but I think it would be a very profound marriage sermon if you've ever happened to have known a married couple where one person was invested but the other one wasn't, and you would say, yeah, super fragile relationship. If you've ever had a friend that never calls you, never texts, never invests, you're the one who has to do absolutely everything, you know how fragile that friendship is. So let's talk about you and I and God and stop saying, well, he doesn't need it. Say, wait a minute, maybe there's something bigger at hand here. So there's your anchor. Sacrifice. And I would contend, this is one of the most powerful, significant, heaviest anchors you have at your disposal, yet statistics tell us most Christians don't use this anchor. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, Jesus was asked about taxes. What a time to talk about taxes. I did not plan it. But anyways, Mark 12, we get there. they want to know if they should have to pay taxes because uh, the Romans weren't really using it for their advantage. Uh, well, then Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. In other words, pay the taxes that you're due, pay, that are due, pay, pay them. But in good Jesus form, he keeps on talking and keeps on teaching and pay your taxes and give to God what belongs to God. Fascinating. He doesn't say, and the law requires, or you're going to go to hell. If Notice he says, give to God what is God's. In other words, that you and I both right now, right now, no matter how much you have, a portion of it is God's, and he's waiting to see what you'll do with it. I love you. If, if you've lost sight of what sacrifice is, I, I feel like we don't see a lot of sacrifice these days. Um, let, me, let me show you a, a, just a, a definition. Uh, to surrender or give something up for the sake of someone or something else. There's a lot of bad teaching out there that will tell you to sacrifice to God so that you get what you really want. Throw that into the garbage, please, or stop watching it or listening to it. That's not sacrifice. Sacrifice is where you give something up and you're like, yeah, that's no longer in my hands. It's gone. If you let me get real personal with you, if you and I ever had coffee and let's say you were to ask me a question, David, what's one of the most profound things that you've been doing in your life that has helped you actually trust God, not fake trust? And I would love to give you that answer. It's in the financial world. Because money and resources are things that you and I can see, and boy, do we enjoy it and want it. And here's the lesson I'll pass on. Sacrifice is where hope turns to trust. 
A lot of times as Christians, we talk about the hope that we have, the hope that we have, the hope that we have, but that's not all that uh, God's called us to and offered for us. He hasn't just like offered you, hey, I'm going to give you hope, just kind of like, like by the time, like deal with it. No, you and I can actually live in legit, real trust. Think about the people in your life that you trust, that you really trust, that you can really depend on. Do you want that with God? And I would say if you do, then let's have a mature enough conversation to say, then you're going to need to take that anchor called sacrifice, or you can call it generosity. It's what you give to God and drop that anchor down. And that moment when you drop it down, it will be so significant because it'll freak you out. A lot of people have told me they enjoyed the, the worship sermon, the prayer sermon. But I'm telling you, one of the most significant things in your life is you actually give God. It's powerful. Now, some of us are like, well, I can't, I can't afford to do it. So I thought we should just have a little rabbit trail here. Let's talk about the spiritual discipline of simplicity. Many of us can't give to God because of how we're currently living. Simplicity, Matthew 6, don't store up treasures here on earth. Don't store up treasures, plural treasures. Store them up that you have so much that you got storage shed after storage shed after storage shed. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven. Where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. God's not trying to rob you of fun. He's trying to protect your heart. In fact, if you go to 1 Timothy, you'll learn that he's not trying to rob you of fun. Teach those who are rich. By the way, someone was like, oh, good. Hope the rich people hear this one. Uh, Globally, just so you know, if you have clothes, shelter, transportation, food, you rich. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money. Huh. Which is so unreliable. What a season to talk about this. Their trust should be in God. How in the world do you get to that? who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment, enjoyment. God's not out for you to hate life. Tell them to use their money to do good. This is where we begin to gain trust in him. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. Let me just remove every filter I can ever have right now. Being a pastor is interesting. Probably really weird for my kids. Um, and I'll just tell you, uh, I have pastor friends that are terrified and they actually don't ever talk to their churches about money. Um, there's a lot of tension there. In fact, this might be your first time you're like, I knew it! I knew it! Dude always talks about money! Let me help. If you're brand new, maybe this is for you, but I usually, I'll get that comment that I preach on money a lot. So I was like, I wonder if I preach on money a lot. I don't know. So I looked at, I wonder what the last 100 sermons have been about. That's a lot of sermons. Some of you have listened to all of them. Uh, of the last 100 sermons at Fountain Springs Church, three of them have been about money I've preached to. 
If you think I preach about money all the time, that says more about your level of conviction, not the amount of preaching I'm doing on it. I told you I was taking the filter off. I can prove to you that God exists. I, I can prove to you he exists. It's, it's, it borderline doesn't even feel like faith to me anymore. I can prove to you God exists. And the stories that I will tell you of proof are almost entirely in the financial things that we've done with God. So how dare I not share that with you? So I'm not afraid of you. However, I know this will be the last time that I see some of you. So I thought, how do we end this? Let me give you a very practical thing. This is what we do as a church. It's a super practical, very simple, but, but, but helpful. I think helpful, simple in the meaning of, here's the information, not easy, but here we go. Nothing to something. What, you're like, what do I do with this sermon? Move from nothing to something. If right now you're like, I give God zero, that's nothing. Run from zero. Move from absolutely, I do nothing, to something. If you're like, what's something? Do a penny. I'm not out to get your money. Put the anchor in the water a little bit. <laughs> Move from nothing to something. As soon as you do that, you're like, all right, I did something. Okay, don't be a one-hit wonder. Like, so, so I did it that one time. Move, move from something to scheduled. Where you're saying, you know what, I'm not just doing it one time. I actually do it on a repeated uh, pattern. Uh, Katie and I, if you need to know, I don't know if you need to know this, uh, our paychecks come and we automatically, we've automated it, send it. When, when we get birthday money, anniversary money, all that, it just, we, do, we just send it. It's, it's scheduled. And as soon as you're like, I, I went from nothing, now it's scheduled, I'd regularly do it. Then you go from scheduled to sacrificial. And you're like, what's sacrificial? Sacrificial is when you live differently so that you can give more. When your monthly allowance to yourself or what you buy or what you own, or it, it's, all, it's all affected by not what do you want, but what can you give. That's called sacrificial living. If you want examples, read the book of Acts. It's the heaviest anchor, in my opinion, and one of the most profound anchors you'll ever utilize. I love you. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thanks for meeting with us. Lord, I pray that you would stoke a fire in our souls. I think, God, that the majority of our church wants to trust you. God, would you reveal the areas of our life that uh, we struggle with this and those willing to risk money and resources? God, would you take care of them? Would you protect them? Would you make their dishwashers last longer? Make their wheels last longer? God, would you literally, as you have shown evidence in Scripture, would you protect them as they learn to trust you? And help us be a church, God, that gives, 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 gives. We love you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.